0: Welcome, welcome welcome it's that time again for another episode of on the way home i love our, our little intro it, it reminds me of like high school drummy uh bands that kind of slow drum drum beat as we get into it uh, listen thank you so much for joining us uh, each week we are so fortunate at on the way home to just have brilliant guests sharing really impactful information and today will not disappoint i guarantee we have a three-timer guest back today this is his third time back because he he and his team are always doing impactful and uh, just brilliant work. Uh, so great to talk about the challenges, the solutions, things they're doing. Um, but before I get to our amazing guests, I would be remiss to not mention that this podcast is brought to you by the good folks at Blue Door, where I have the good fortune of being a member of that team an organization up in uh, York region across nine municipalities, a little bit into Durham, too, a little bit into Peel. That is doing work, housing people daily, wrapping supports around them, supporting our most vulnerable, making sure they have access to health care and providing meaningful and well-paying employment through our construction social enterprise construct. And we partner on this podcast with the Canadian Alliance to End Homelessness. They're doing incredible work across this country. Um, Listen, you want to become a built for zero community. um, And if you do, go to CAEH.com. CA. Check out the work they're doing. Reach out to them. I'm sure they'd be happy to come into your community and tell you all about that. Beyond that, they're doing so many other amazing things. Um, So check out their website. See how you can get involved. See how you can make impactful change happen. All right. Onwards we go with today's guest. Today I have with me Neil Hetherington from the daily bread food bank now neil's been on the podcast a couple times he has amazing background he actually came from the private sector and we're going to talk a little bit about that to become ceo of habitat for humanity and and the youngest ceo we're gonna we're gonna prod a little there but i have to tell you uh neil for this podcast uh, he got really dressed up he uh he thought it was (laughs) formal so he uh now kidding all kidding aside neil did not know it was video as well so he is uh he is wearing his hoodie that he told me he, he just said walking his dog um, living the healthy life. But I told Neil, that's not what we're here for. We're here to discuss the big issues. It's not about appearances. Neil, welcome to the show.
1: Michael, it's good to see you. Thank you for for for, uh, for pointing out the attire. And <laughs> and while you did the introduction, I decided, you know, on Saturday Night Live, when, when you get to the Five Timers Club, you got a jacket. And so <laughs> in your scenario, three times, I'm going to say, yeah, I now have the three-timer jacket. It's a three-timer hoodie. And so I'm very <laughs> proud of, of my hoodie. Anyway, I, 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 you know what? It's about content, not, uh, not, not, uh, uh, not what we're wearing. So anyway, I apologize to my mom for
0: this podcast <laughs> no no she i'm sure she is quite proud of you it's about the work uh neil we ask the same question um, to every guest that comes on because it means a little something different to everyone and that question is what does home mean to you
1: well home to me uh means safety and security uh and uh and a place where i can always sort of reflect on on incredible uh, blessings that I've had, I am privileged that I've had in my uh, my life, and so um, I, this year uh, the the family home is uh, is it has been sold, a place where uh, for fifty years uh, my parents have uh, have lived, and so it's taking on a special meaning of reflection and remembrance as as that home will probably be demolished, and uh, and they move into a condominium. And uh, but for the entire time uh, that our family has been in, uh, in this home, it's, uh, it's been uh, that place of security and love and blessing.
0: It's some special memories, I'm sure, right? That's what people look back on when they, they think of home. Now so Neil, let's go back to the year 2022 years ago. I believe you were working in the private sector and made a big career change. Uh, to come to the nonprofit sector. While many people like myself are thrilled that you did because you've made uh, a huge impact uh, in many uh, different organizations since then, can you talk, talk to me a little bit about what prompted that change? Uh, and and was it a bit of a culture shock or, or not really? Uh,
1: well, I had uh, I had been working with Habitat for Humanity overseas um, prior to to getting my first Sir job and and so I got what we call habitatus. I got I got really excited about Habitat for Humanity because it is a wonderful international organization doing tremendous uh, good work, and uh, and it changed my life. And so when the opportunity to be the CEO of uh, Habitat for Humanity in Toronto came up, um, I was completely unqualified to uh, to to do it, and and yet the board had a little bit of faith, and uh, and so they. They said yes, and um, uh, it has been something that uh, I can't imagine actually working in the for-profit sector. Um, I, uh, I feel incredibly lucky to have worked both at Habitat for Humanity, uh, Dixon Hall, and now uh, the Daily Bread Food Bank uh, for the last uh, twenty-plus years, in uh, each of them in, in uh, CEO roles, and. Um, I get excited about mission. I get excited about the possibility that we might be able to have impact in the community or impact on somebody's life, be able to help them as they... Uh, they walk on a journey where the right to housing is not being realized, and maybe we advocate alongside them to be able to change that. Or the right to food is not being realized, and we and we walk in that journey together. And so that inspires me far more than than any sort of mission statement of of working for a condominium developer, or uh, even though we need we need those things, um, that's just you know not who at the core I am.
0: Well, I, I think too, I mean, a lot of what you were doing, you had transferable skills. Listen, a leader is a leader, whether it's nonprofit or uh, for profit, and, and you had those skills and definitely it has showed. Uh, I want to go to a few years back um, in 2018. I remember you you were loving the work at Dixon Holly. Holly's, a great organization, it oh. continues to be doing impactful, meaningful work. But when the job of the Daily Food uh, Bank came up, you said, this was my dream job and I had to take the jump. Talk to me a little bit about that. Uh, how's that you know that, that process the job how's it been
1: well i mean it, to be Clear. Dixon Hall was also a, a dream job. There's lots of great opportunities in the nonprofit sector. Um, the uh, in 2018, when the position became available and there was a call made to to ask whether or not that was something that that uh, that I'd like to put my name forward for consideration on. Um, the reason that I was attracted to Daily Bread was because it was providing immediate service now today to somebody that needs it, but. As important, it was looking upstream when it comes to poverty. It was looking at what are the systemic causes of uh, of food insecurity, poverty, and uh, and how can we begin to address those uh, in a serious way. And so it has a fantastic research group and it has an excellent uh, advocacy group. And so we can leverage what we know by visiting and talking and shaking hands with so many uh, people who are making use of the food bank today and take their experience and with them formulate strategies of social policies that will allow us to be able to help uh, develop social policies that inevitably hopefully will decrease the uh, the lineups that we're seeing across the city and across the country, uh, which are absolutely atrocious right now.
0: Yes. And we're going to talk more about that, about the report. And, you know, despite great efforts from yourself. And if if, let's make it clear, if you and the team and many others across this country were not doing the work you were doing, those lines would be tripled, right? You're still doing great work. There's still a lot to be done because those lines are, as we'll talk about, are are getting bigger. Uh, But that is not due to lack of effort and and, uh, foresight that you and the team are doing right now. You're right. We have to look at those those root causes for sure. Um, Now let's talk a little bit about uh, each year uh, yourselves, and I believe it is the North York Harvest uh, group, do a report. So you do a, a report called, and it's, uh, who's, is it, who's hungry? Who's hungry.
1: Yeah.
0: Who's hungry. So let's talk a little yeah. bit about that. What's the purpose behind the report and what's all involved in bringing it together? What are the pieces?
1: So the purpose of the report is to, to give several different groups uh, real-time information about what is happening on the ground. What are we seeing? And uh, and so it goes through the quantitative aspects of how many people are coming to food banks. And then it goes demographically, who are they? Uh, then it goes to to the what, is it, what are the causes uh, and the factors that are bringing them to food banks? Why are they food insecure? Uh, why is their right to food not being realized? And then. Importantly, it spends the majority of the report talking about the recommendations to be able to uh, to change the, the situation. And we do the report for the general public, of course, um, but it is often used by academics. It's used by other nonprofit organizations. Um, and the one that... I, I, I hope it's used even more by, is government. All three levels of government, as you know, have a poverty reduction strategy. And they need our help. They need our help to walk back from the difficult limb that they're on right now to be able to, uh, to change the trajectory of, uh, of poverty in the country. We made a commitment in this country to uh, reduce poverty by 50% by 2030. And, uh, and it seems like we're not going to get there. Um you look at the food bank numbers and you become become disheartened um, the uh, in Toronto we were seeing about fifty thousand sixty thousand sorry sixty thousand client visits per month uh, before the pandemic Then the pandemic hit, and the lineups increased dramatically quickly. People in the city did not have uh, the fortitude to be able to and to to be able to economic fortitude to be able to to deal with the acute shock of the pandemic. And so our lineups increased and our food bank visits doubled. They went from 60,000 to 120,000. And then you have another shock to the system, inflation that happens this beginning in sort of January, February of this year, 11 uh, percent for food. And uh, and suddenly those lineups went from one hundred and twenty thousand to one hundred and ninety thousand this past month. So we have seen, regrettably, a tripling of the number of people who need to make use of food banks on a monthly basis and i think you were kind in your 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 offering that you know without the daily bread that that would have been even worse i am uh even more committed and more resolved to be able to uh to advocate for 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 change and i'll just you know i, I this is a long answer to your very simple question but you know just the the fact is that um, when we were all clanging pots and saying to uh, and cheering on essential workers in the pandemic, we all gathered around and said never again. We all gathered around and said no. We got to build back better. We got to do something fundamentally different. And, and Michael, we haven't. Um, and and this this latest change, this late, latest uh increase of 30% in food bank usage says that we have not done it. We have not been able to uh, to change the social policies that will be able to develop a, a strong and more cohesive fabric that results in fewer people being food insecure. And so podcasts like this, I think, are very important. And uh, to be able to spread that word and hopefully convince everybody to, uh, to take action.
0: Well, you know, quite often in um, the housing homelessness sector will get asked or I'll get asked, what does homelessness look like? And I think you would get asked the same thing. I think there's a perception of what does the food bank user look like and people's perception. But there's a new reality too. And what I'm getting at is uh, just a recently a retired Toronto city councilor who was responsible for housing, uh, Anna Balea, said housing was never uh, a headline or affordable housing until it hit the middle class. We're seeing... Yes. Different people accessing shelters. We're seeing uh, people that are working full time just can't afford rent. And I I think, can you talk about who you're seeing and how uh, the demographic has kind of shifted with food bank usage?
1: Yeah, former deputy mayor uh, Annaballo is absolutely right, and uh, I, I have a lot of time and respect uh, for her as she continues her journey in terms of uh, of developing affordable housing. And the face of affordable housing has changed. She's entirely right that we're now talking about it uh, more because it's hitting more people. Uh, you know, it used to be that you know you follow the rules, you you, you go through school, maybe you go to college or university, uh, you get a job, you're able to afford a house. That's not the case now, uh, for for the vast majority of, uh, of individuals. And so um, housing affordability is uh, is out of reach of just far too many. And so uh, the good news is, out of that, we're talking about it more. Uh, on the food security side of things, uh, the face is changing as as well. So inflation meant that anybody on a fixed income, uh, if they weren't already having to make use of a food bank, as people on disability uh have to depend they they needed to, they contributed to the number of people their incomes weren't going up they were a fixed income maybe they were a senior and so they uh they needed to to come to the food bank to make ends meet but now i talk about more and more that the person who's going to the food bank is sitting across from you in the cubicle think about it, maybe they've got one or two kids maybe they've got a starting salary somewhere in the forty thousand, fifty thousand uh, range you, you put away a couple of thousand bucks for uh, for rent each each month. You have a couple of mouths to feed, and suddenly you don't have much left over, and that's in a, a sort of a, a good circumstance. And so, um, think about a living wage is now you know twenty three and uh, dollars and change uh, a month, forty forty six thousand dollars just for a living wage. And, uh, and so people are having to supplement their food purchasing uh, by making use of charity. And fundamentally, that is absolutely uh, antithetical to everything that the food bank stands for. We are working hard to try to reduce the amount of food insecurity in the, by policy change. Uh, at the same time, we're firmly committed to meeting the need while it's there.
0: or learn more about Construct's employment program, visit ConstructGTA.ca. I think a lot of people don't understand that. If, If you came out one day and you and your team and there was no one in line and the need wasn't there... Uh, you can be happier. People say well, you might be out of a yeah, job. Exactly. And, and you'd be okay with that, right? I mean, we would we, think- be delighted with that. We
1: would transfer all any monies left over from daily bread. We give the the land. We'll give it to 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 Blue Door, and you guys can uh, can develop uh, whatever is required from a housing perspective there. And uh, um, and then I guess I'll go back to developing condos.
0: <laughs> it, no, but I, and all kidding aside, we were you, you mentioned some numbers there. Uh, so it's suggested that um, people spend 30%. 30% is that kind of threshold to spend on housing of a household income. I believe in this report, it talks about uh, many food bank users spending uh, about 69% of their household income and more on housing and more yeah, and, and more. And right. What talk about some of the, the dollar amounts that you found that are left over after paying for housing that people have?
1: Well, the on. one that shocked me is the shocker, the shocker of this year's report was Uh, one in five food bank users, 18%, one in five food bank users spend 100% of their income on rent. That means they are 100, they are completely dependent. You might go, how does that even happen? They are completely dependent on charity, friends, and family to be able to make ends meet, to be able to pay for every bit of food, uh, whether they're getting it from a food bank or community meals or friends or family. They're completely dependent on the furniture bank. They're completely dependent on uh, thrift shops to be able to get the, the clothing that they need or friends and family. And so that one, not only is the, are the numbers increasing so dramatically, the depth of concern for each individual has increased uh, dramatically as as well, and so that one was the one that I just I shook my head at and just said, "How can we let this happen?"
0: Yeah, man. I mean, that's staggering uh, and sad and and unnecessary, right? I mean, and let's dive a little more into. You have said often, "Hey, more food banks." It's like for us, more more shelters are not necessarily the answer to ending homelessness. More food banks are not necessarily the answer to uh, helping people through talk a little bit about what has to change.
1: Hmm. Well, there's three fundamental things. Um, and the first one you're, 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 you're doing every single day. It's the development of decent affordable housing, um, making sure that we've got affordable housing uh, scattered throughout the country um, that, that people will have access to. The second is around income security. I Here's something, I'm sorry to soapbox a bunch of things, but I'm going to soapbox this one. When CERB came out, it was a guaranteed income for everybody at the start of the pandemic who needed it. The government said, oh, geez, for people to get by, they need 2000 bucks a month. And so everybody who needed it got access to $2,000. Everybody in Ontario who is on disability gets $1,229 a month to survive on. Um, They are underwater every single month and dependent on charity. And so we have to have an honest conversation about what is the decent level of income security for somebody on disability. The poverty line in in Ontario is, depending on the area you're in, but it's roughly around $2,100. And so every single month, we are legislating that somebody on disability, somebody who cannot work, must be in poverty. And how contrary to the values that we espouse as a province is that? And so I think we need a a really hard conversation uh, about uh, about the treatment of those on disability uh, right away. The third thing. So income security is the second. Affordable housing is the first. The the, the last one is, is around decent employment. Um, you know, many of the people that are coming to the daily bread food bank or North York harvest or food banks all across the country, they are, uh, cobbling together a couple of jobs to be able to make things, uh, happen, to be able to make ends meet. And so when they do that, they no longer have access to benefits. Um, and so they're having to make choices on medications for their kids or rent, uh, hydro or, uh, 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 dental care for, for for a child. And so um, when it comes to decent employment, if we are going to continue down this route of uh, individuals having to put together multiple jobs without benefits, I think we need an honest conversation about universal pharmacare and dental care because it's also good for the economy um, to be able to get people out, just as it was good for the economy to be able to provide $10 day uh, ten-day uh, t- $10 a day uh, daycare for, uh, to get um, many, many more people into the workforce.
0: Yeah, I agree with, with all those things. I'll tell you a few things, too, uh, around that. When you talk about, um, I think for a long time, Blue Door and others, we, we tackle the employment challenge we're, we were actually setting people up for failure and here's why we were putting people in jobs that didn't have a lot of meaning that didn't pay a living wage that had terrible hours and no benefits. And so we set them up for yet another failure on a long list of, you know, where I need to break this, uh, this cycle of failure. And we're setting them up for another failure. And that's what we look at programs like we've done with blue doors, construct the construction, social enterprise. What appealed to us on that is that meaningful work, career, starting off at a living wage right away and it only goes up Yeah, massive demand for it. Um, and yeah. And, there, and you know, who's going to build the 3 million homes across the country. So we need exactly. those people. So everyone wins. And it also, and here's the, you know, the, the other win is it brings in revenue, right? So it's a revenue generating piece uh, and it gets people involved. So we have to just think, I think a, a little differently and moving forward. What you mentioned too, people need to, you know, if people realize that 15% of, uh, everyone living in Ontario receives Ontario works or ODSP disability as you're talking about, right? Those numbers, that amount you mentioned is lower than it was in 1995, right? It has never caught up from that 21% cut that happened back then. Uh, So think about if your income was lower than it was in 1995 with 2022 prices, right? And the inflation that's happened. There's a huge gap. We see that. The Globe and Mail talks about the need of $90,000 for a household income to afford a one-bedroom apartment in the GTA. If your income is $13,000 a year, again, massive gap, right? Who's going to fill in those gaps? It's falling on charities and others to do so. Uh, but we we need to work with government and community to, to make that change happen. Uh any any hopes for this report as you put it forward to the community um, what are your hopes moving forward of how this information is used?
1: Well I guess my my first hope is that it causes a conversation uh, among uh, at kitchen tables um, that uh, results in politicians taking it taking action. you know politicians will listen. Um, the more that we uh, provided that we get uh, angry uh, about what is, uh, what is going on and uh, point out the, the failures that we, we've got. You know, you're talking about the adjustments to disability. This 5% adjustment that was just recently done was the first adjustment since uh, 2018. And so you talk about, you know, just this past year, 11.5% int- uh, inflation. Um, those folks are so underwater year after year um, and further exacerbating the divide between those who have and those who don't have. Further, poverty costs Ontario $33 billion a year. It is expensive to pay for uh, poverty, to pay for shelters, to pay for food banks, to pay for the justice system, the healthcare system, Um, it is incredibly expensive. So it is in our best economic interest to be able to build a healthy and vibrant Ontario, to be able to have sustainable policies that make sure that we do not have the divide that we currently uh, have and are exacerbating. So, um, uh, So I guess, My hope is people are going to read this report, they're going to get angry, and that they do one simple thing, and that is call whatever level of government they choose, whoever their politician is, and say, today's the day for you to implement your property reduction strategy. All levels of government have one. You can phone, you can send them an email, text them if you got it, and just say, please implement this.
0: Yeah, and you talked about that in the report. You said, number one, take action, like you just said. Call Push all levels of government to implement the property reduction strategy. What are the two? There's two other pieces, I believe. Two other action steps. Hey, do that, but do these things too. And what are they?
1: Uh, well, I, the, I guess the the. the Action that I'm hoping people will take is that, that poverty reduction yeah. strategy, because that's an umbrella that, that encompasses employment, encompasses income supports, and, and it encompasses uh, affordable housing. Um, but I also do hope that people will do something in the short term. I do hope that people will say, um, you know what? Uh, I have the means to, so I'm going to. I'm going to give to to Blue Door, or I'm going to give to uh, Habitat, or to, to, to Daily Bread, that they are able to to provide funding, um, that they are able to provide uh, talent in terms of their uh, their their time with the organization. But ultimately, all of us are, are just tired of seeing with uh, the hurt that is going on, and and it really does require the duty bearer of the government to be able to set up the systems that allow for uh, for people's right to housing and right to food to be realized. And uh, we're not talking about giving away free houses, giving away free food on the corner. We're talking about making sure the systems are in place that allow people to be able to go through a program like you offer, uh, to be able to gain that employment and uh, have the, uh, the sense of, uh, of uh, dignity associated with that great paying job, knowing that they're contributing to community.
0: Well said, well said. Um, you know, quite often, or not often enough, um, because of, uh, I'm not at the office every day, but a few weeks back, I was in, and I saw two different things. I had two different conversations. First of all, usually no one knows who the heck I am, right? But one of the clients, he, he knew, he said, hey, man, how's it going? And then we had opened a new transitional housing spot, and he was really proud of his new room, which was really cool. And he said, you know, I've been in Every blue door facility, I've spent time as in the family one, in the men's one, and he goes, in fact, I was one of the first guys in Porter Place. Now, so so to put that into to, to really realize what he's saying, that opened in 1989. So this means oh, wow. 30 years. So all I could think is, we failed this man, right? We failed him. Uh, uh, our, our our policies, our structure, everything has failed to this individual, right? And that drives me is just not acceptable. And then the same day after reeling from that, and you know, and he was he was on his way, hopefully finally being housed. Everyone's journey is a little different. I walked into Porter Placements, and one of the you know, people said, Hey, hey, buddy Mike, how's it going, man? And I looked and, and and you know, he had a mask on, and I looked oh my god. Like, oh. And I recognized him from my days of 360 kids. What bothered me is he has now uh, made the jump from youth homelessness to adult homelessness. He has escaped the system so again. Like this is why we need to do this. If we don't take the preventative measures here, you talked about, and have, and have to be done. If we don't have uh, great healthcare, housing, employment, we don't have these conversations. This is what happens: this is a life long uh, life of suffering, being in and out of shelters, in food bank lines, pushing forwards. That's what drives me. I'm sure you you have similar conversations with uh, individuals that you chat with uh, at Daily Bread.
1: Oh, absolutely, and um, there are the conversations that happen with an individual on a weekly basis, and have for the last five years, and that uh, saddens me. Um, and I would like to get to the point where uh, uh, you know I see them on the street and I say hello, versus seeing them at the food food bank. Um, then you have the the cases where the individual wasn't there next the the following week, and you know you, you cleave to the hope that that's because they were able to. To to get that uh, uh, permanent affordable housing, that they got maybe a a, a grant and a move from a streets to homes kind of program that they went into rapid housing, um, and you kind of hold on to that, or maybe they partnered up with uh, with a, a family member and were able to uh, to be reunited and go back home, and and so uh, so you hoped on that, you hope maybe maybe that there was a job a job that uh, that paid beyond uh minimum wage that provided a living wage, and they didn't need daily bread. Um, I have seen it, and I uh, I, I um, appreciate it very much. I've received the the ones that have, have been really meaningful to me. I, I haven't. I, I, it's only probably a handful that I've had in the past uh, five years. But I have received notes from people that I don't know. Uh, notes where the person said I was a food bank client. Please find and close twenty bucks um, because I've I've moved on. Uh, I don't need the food bank anymore. I know it, it meant something to somebody else, and those you, you gotta you gotta hold on to and relish those those kinds of notes. As I said, they don't happen very often, uh, but when they do, um, it's a source of uh, of fuel to, that will continue to uh, to to burn for uh, for each of us on on the staff and the volunteers to keep on doing what we need to do. You know, I um I hold on to the expression of Brian Stevenson uh pretty firmly where he, he talks about poverty and what he says is the opposite of poverty is not wealth, but justice. And it just seems to me that we have the opportunity to spread justice not only by what we are doing in interactions at shelters, and at affordable housing, at food banks for the moment and for the day. We have the opportunity uh, to to spread justice on a more systemic basis when we advocate.
0: Well said, well said. So, So if people want to check out the report, read the report, where can they go?
1: They just just Google who's hungry twenty twenty two. We have both the report, which is which is fairly lengthy. It's academic. It's well written by uh, Diane Dyson at, uh, at Daily Bread and her team. Uh, and so they can read the full report. They can also read the Cole's notes version. Uh, and uh, in the, the the summary, I'm sure many of your audience have no idea what I'm talking about on Cole's notes, but uh, for <laughs> some they'll, they'll, they'll remember those. And uh, I needed them. And uh, and and there's also a video there, and, and it explains some of the startling statistics. But I hope in each of the forms that people read that they get to that end part, which is the "let's take action together." yeah, take action.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's not, not another report to sit on the shelf. This is action-driven. And you have a podcast, Daily Bread, is a podcast itself. So let's give let's give that podcast a plug. What's it all about? Where can people listen?
1: Yeah, so we've had uh, two seasons, and I and 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 uh, credit where credit is due. It was because of you, Michael, that we said, wait a second, shouldn't we be doing something when it comes to, uh, uh, to food insecurity across the country? And so we put together two seasons, uh, 10 episodes each, uh, 10 to 12 episodes each, um, called the 2030 Project. And the 2030 Project is, 2030 is that year where we're, we're decreasing poverty in theory by 50%. So are we on track? How are we getting there? Is a guaranteed income the the way to go, like a basic income? Is that is that sort of the, uh, the the silver bullet that will solve these these challenges? Those are what the podcast dives into from a social policy perspective. And so, uh, so if you need to to click uh, another podcast following this one, uh, I'd encourage people to to head over to what Dave Trafford has put together.
0: Very very cool. Lastly, people want to give, be part of the solution. If they want to donate, where can they go?
1: I hope people will consider uh, making a donation to wherever their local food bank is. If they're in Toronto, uh, dailybread.ca or uh, North York Harvest. Um, but, you know, contributing to what will uh, relieve the pain now and, and provide for a brighter future uh, moving forward for all is my hope that, uh, you know, as the poll came out yesterday, 47% of Canadians said this holiday, they would be delighted if somebody made a donation in their name, rather than providing them a gift, and I, I, I just thought that that with philanthropic generosity of spirit around the holiday season was wonderful to uh, to read that uh, that Angus Reed uh, poll, and so uh, so hopefully people this this uh, time of year will make, uh, consider making that if they're able.
0: Yeah, let's be honest. I think if you right now reading the news is, is very depressing, but seeing a poll like that gives us hope, and that's great. That yeah. we we know listen. I, I truly believe that. Most Canadians are good, solid, decent, hardworking, generous people. Uh, and once they understand, they want to take action. It's a little bit on us and in others. That's why we do this podcast, to create that awareness and education. Because, yes, government plays a part. But, man, so does community. And community needs to step up. So we're not here. Next year, when I have you on, a, let's hope that we're not talking about uh, another increase. But that things have scaled back. Uh, we remain. I oh, love there. that. Yeah, thank you so much for your leadership in this sector, for all you do, and uh, for your time today. So appreciate it. Thanks, Michael. Man, I, I love having Neil on here. Uh, so well spoken. If you get the chance, check out their website. Uh, Neil does a lot of little videos. Uh, they're excellent, to the point. Um, And just just well done. Really, it's about messaging. It's about communication. It's about creating the conversation on how this ends. And Neil and his team do a great job of that. Well, that is it for today's podcast. I guarantee this one thing, that we will have another amazing guest next week when we see you on the way home. Produced by Cryer Media and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company.